Scripture passage this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,827. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, may you enlighten our minds and our hearts by your Spirit, that the Word of God would give us your grace, provide for us a renewed vision of Christ, our Savior, and call us forward, Lord, to be more like Jesus so that we may shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 18. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or complaining, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the words of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. There's a common theme in the scriptures. It's about standing out. It's about being different. It's about going against the grain, against the pattern of this world. And Jesus uses this lesson when he asks the question, um, are you no different than the Gentiles if you simply love those who love you? And he calls us to love our enemies. And love of enemies is something that makes one stand out as different than everyone else. Everyone else is fine getting together with people who are like-minded and, and patting each other on the back and, and getting in your little echo chamber and agreeing with everyone else who already agrees with you. It's when we love our enemies, those who oppose us, who hate us, that we stand out. Well, today I'd like to apply that principle, uh, not to love of enemy, but to the concept or the idea of thankfulness. And thankfulness, gratitude, looks brighter in a culture defined by complaining and grumbling. A culture defined by arguing, nitpicking, whining. In a hopeless culture, hope shines like the sun. In a society without Christ, our gratitude is as bright as the stars in the sky. And to explain that contrast, I'd like to make a simple presentation. The presentation is this. I've got a flashlight on my phone. 
And I'm sure many of you can see it. Don't look right into it. I don't want to hurt your eyes at all, but... Of course, it stands out, but when all the other lights are on in the sanctuary, it doesn't stand out all that much. It doesn't pop. But if the lights were brought down in the sanctuary, the light begins to seem much brighter. The contrast is more obvious. Don't fall asleep on me. And that's exactly what Paul is doing in our passage this morning. He's saying that our thankfulness, our gratitude, which is the opposite of complaining and and arguing, grumbling, can make us stand out amidst the crowd. Can make other people point at us and say that they're different. Why is it that they're different? And why this is so important right now in our time, the experience that we're going through, the days that we're going through, is because unlike other years, many of us might feel like things are getting worse, starting to look darker out there. But what I want to bring to you today is that that is not... The moment then for us to grumble and to complain and to whine about things that are happening. That is not the moment for us as Christian people to be asking God, 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 what's going to happen to us? And to be having fear and doubts and worries. What I want us to think about is the darker it may get under God's sovereignty and providence is the opportunity for us as God's people to shine. In contrast to that darkness. And one profound way in which we are called to shine as God's people is thankfulness. And the way thankfulness stands out often happens to be When there seems to be less and less reason for us to be thankful according to the world. So today we're going to look at this passage. And the theme this morning is the more thankful of Christ's salvation we are, the more like Christ we become. The more thankful of Christ's salvation we are, the more like Christ we become. Our first point is work out what God is working in you. Our second point is don't grumble, glow. And our third point is follow me as I follow Christ. So let's look at that first point. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, if you remember his journey to Philippi, Philippi is a very Roman city. Many retired soldiers in the army would retire in Philippi. And we know it it is deeply Roman in its culture and its influence because when Paul visited Philippi during his journey in Acts, there was not a synagogue. And so what he did is he went down by the river where God-fearing people would go to praise God and to pray to him. And that's where he ran and he encountered Lydia. And so 
Uh, what you see in the, in the book of Philippians is Paul writing from prison, most likely in Rome, talking to the church in Philippi about the experiences that they're going through in the midst of their very Roman civilization and citizenship. And so Paul will say things like, you should claim your citizenship in heaven above your citizenship in Rome. Paul speaks to them of some of the, the suffering and the persecution that they're going through. Might very well be social uh, isolation, social ostracizing. Oh, you're those Christian people, those people who worship Jesus. You know, you don't belong in our, in our group anymore. You don't belong at our Thanksgiving gatherings anymore. You're outside of our, our circle. We won't do business with you, maybe, even. And not only that, but these pressures that were created with the Philippian church were beginning to cause tensions in the midst of their congregation. People fighting with each other, grumbling and complaining, maybe to the leaders, maybe to each other. So Paul writes to them this, this letter. And Philippians is often called the, the letter of rejoicing. He says, rejoice, rejoice so often in this letter. And where we start here in verse 12 of chapter 2, we have to stop and we have to, to realize what came before. I've said this many times, but my Sunday school uh, Bible teacher, she always used to say, whenever you see a therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? And verse 12 begins with therefore. And if you're familiar with Philippians, one of the most important passages of the book of Philippians is what is often called the Christ hymn. The beginning of chapter 2, Paul instructs the Philippians to have the same kind of humility that Jesus Christ had. And he encourages them to be like Christ in this way. And he breaks into this hymn, which many people believe was an early Christian song that they would sing in church. And he says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. But at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, what's Paul saying? Paul is saying that everything I am now going to say to you is in light of what I have just told you about Christ, his salvation, what he did. His humility, coming down, dying for us, his exaltation. Therefore, my dear friends, Paul encourages them, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Now, what's Paul saying here? Well, oftentimes, Paul in his letter, particularly to the church in Corinth, would say, you know, I don't want to come there, but if you make me come there, I'll come there. Like a parent 
saying, if my presence is necessary to keep you accountable, I plan on being there. Or maybe as many of you experienced back in the day, you had a visit from the elders and the pastor. And you made sure your house was all clean. You told the kids to put on something nice. You said, don't say a word, especially about the organ, right, Rick? (laughs) He's got a story for you if you want to ask him about it sometime. Because the pastor's there, we gotta, you know, we gotta, we gotta look all put together. Well, Paul's saying, not only am I presence, but now much more in my absence. Don't make my presence necessary for you to obey. Now much more in my absence, Paul says. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What's Paul saying here? Well, if we read just that part, we might feel a little nervous by what he's saying because we understand that salvation is a gift. It's not something that we work out. In fact, Paul says later other places in his writings, the one who receives salvation is the one that does not work. Right? Salvation is not like somebody working for their wages. They, they work for a day and then they get paid. They get paid their salvation. Salvation isn't that. But here Paul is saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But he continues in verse 13. For it is God. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. The paradox of personal responsibility and God's sovereignty is no more clearly seen than in these two verses. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. So work out what God is working in. And they're so closely put together here that, boy, you can find a lot of different things about it in any of the commentaries you want to read. Some people trying to emphasize God's gift of salvation, and so they minimize personal responsibility. Some people trying to emphasize personal responsibility, so they minimize God's sovereignty in salvation. And it goes both ways. But what I like to do is, I like to quote Charles Spurgeon. One time he was asked, Sir, how do you reconcile human freedom and God's sovereignty? And he said, as he often did with his little tweets, as they would be back in the day. Uh, Easy. I don't need to reconcile friends. I don't need to reconcile friends. But one thing that might help us understand what Paul is saying here to the the church in, in Philippi, to the individual Christians in Philippi, when he says to them, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, to will and to act according to his good purpose. 
is that Paul is talking about salvation here as a whole. See, oftentimes we can think about salvation simply in one sense, as in justification from sins. That's a one moment, a, 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 a single moment, when in that moment, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you repent of your sins, you receive justification. It's just as if you've never sinned. But the scriptures talk about salvation in a number of different ways. They are talking about salvation in that decisive moment, like justification. Sometimes they're talking about salvation when it comes to sanctification, that process of growing in our salvation as the Holy Spirit works in us. But also, salvation can be talked of as a whole, as if we have been saved, we are being saved, and on that day when we receive our resurrection bodies... And we are ushered into glory where we can never then fall again into sin. That's salvation. And Paul here is primarily talking about the salvation that the Philippians have already received. You, if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have been justified from your sins. It's just as if you have never sinned. And so now, work out your salvation. With fear and trembling. And why is it so important that we take that personal responsibility in our growth as a Christian? Why is it so important that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because it's very simple. God uses means. We understand here as Reformed Christians that God is sovereign over salvation, that he has elected us, chosen us before the foundation of the world. But we should also understand that the way people come to salvation in Jesus Christ is when God's people are faithful in proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And in the same way, we understand that God is sovereignly working in us the salvation he's already given to us in Jesus Christ. He is sanctifying us. He is growing in us godliness and holiness. But the means by which he does that is our own working. And so when you have that desire and that will, as Paul says... God works in you to will and to act. When you have the will, the desire to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to understand that what is being worked in you is the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who emptied himself of the prerogatives of divinity so that he could die for you and was raised to life and seated at the right hand. When you understand the greatness and the glory of the salvation you received, You will to grow in gratitude. And your actions correspond to that thankfulness. And when you do that, one reason for the fear and the trembling, the reverence and the awe, is that you understand that what is happening in you is actually the work of God. You see, we see 
in the completed work of Christ, a great and wonderful calling to be forever grateful to the Lord who saved us, to have a paradigm shift to become new creatures. And we discover the great mystery of salvation, that stars look brighter on a dark night. Lights shine brighter in the darkness. And the more thankful of Christ's salvation we are, the more like Christ we become. What about this second point? Don't grumble, but glow. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I might boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. And so, what does that Working out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Look like, it looks like doing everything without complaining, without grumbling or arguing. Now, I told you that the church in Philippi is largely of Gentile origin. It does not have many Jewish believers in it. It's uh, Roman. And so, in the book of Philippians... We find a lot of allusions to Jewish history, to the Jewish scriptures, but not many direct quotations because Paul understands his audience. And what we have here is that the illusion of doing everything without complaining or arguing is drawing to us, the reader's mind, the Israelites in the wilderness who grumbled against the Lord. Oftentimes, as they wandered out of Egypt, oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt. Why did God bring us out here just to kill us? Why did we follow this Moses guy? Oh, whining, whining, whining. You ever read those stories and think to yourself, these people are such whiners and grumblers. And then you have to take a moment and realize that in God's providence, do you think there's a reason that God's people whined and grumbled against him over and over again, maybe it's to show us our very own hearts. And so Paul speaks to the church in Philippi. He understands that they are being persecuted, that they are being ostracized outside of their community and their society for their beliefs and their convictions. Paul understands that they are suffering and experiencing difficulty, right? And Paul understands that because of that, there's these, grunt, these tensions between people in the congregation. And so he says, do everything without grumbling or complaining, complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. And this particular is a quotation from the Song of Moses at the end of Deuteronomy, chapter 32. In Song of Moses in Deuteronomy, chapter 32, we're told by Moses that the people of Israel were those who complained and argued and grumbled. In fact, then, the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses says that you are no longer the children of God because you are wicked and perverse. And so Paul flips that imagery. 
And he says of the church in Philippi, he, the, uh, the apostle to the Gentiles, that you are called to see the warning in the way that the, the Israelite people turned away from God. You are called to see even now in their hardness of heart that they do not believe in Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Not to be those who complain and argue, but to be blameless and pure. To be the children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. In which you shine like stars in the universe. What's the opposite of complaining, grumbling? It's praise, isn't it? Gratitude. Thankfulness. If we're called not to complain and, and, and argue, we're called to give praise and to give thanks. This marks us as blameless and pure before others. Our testimony of gratitude becomes the glory of Christ being revealed in us. Instead of looking upon the condition of the world and in fear, whining and complaining, we in faith trust the Lord and continue to be filled with thankfulness and gratitude. And what's the result of this? When you don't grumble, you glow. We're like that light that shines much brighter in the darkness. In the midst of a crooked and depraved generation, one characterized by hopelessness and whining and complaining, the salvation we are working out, the salvation that God is working in us, the one that looks to the accomplishment of Christ on our behalf, laid out in the poem that was before this passage, makes us look like stars shining in the darkest sky. As we hold on to that beacon, what is it that Paul said? As you hold out the word of life, the good news of the gospel, that gospel message, looking to that future coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and remembering, like Paul, that our labor of gratitude is not in vain. And Paul said of the Philippians, if you do this, it will be that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. When we do this, we discover the great mystery of salvation. Stars look brighter on a dark night. Lights shine brighter in the darkness. And the more thankful of Christ's salvation we are, the more like Christ we become. What about this last and final point today? Follow me as I follow Christ. Verse 16 is where Paul shifts his perspective from the Philippians so that he may put himself forward as an example. He begins by saying that on that day of Christ, the day of his return, I may see that I did not run or labor for nothing. But he continues on with an allusion to Old Testament Levitical sacrificial practices. He says, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice. What Paul communicates here is his willingness to die for the gospel in much the same way he did earlier in this letter when he said, for, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, 
Many historians believe that Paul is in prison in Rome when he writes this letter. Um, we, do not, we, do not, we do not say that Paul here is asking to die or even that he's expecting to die, but that he's merely saying that even if the result of his apostolic work is his life being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice of their service and their faith, it's worth it. Because the result of his hardship and suffering, the fruit of his labors, is a church with believers who are serving the Lord, serving each other, and their neighbors in faith, in gratitude. They are looking in the face of those who are scorning them, persecuting them. Instead of grumbling and complaining, they're thinking about how they can show thankfulness. They can love them. What more could Paul ask for than to live and to die for Christ? What more could Paul ask for as he sits there in prison in Rome rejoicing that believers in Philippi are following after him? They have struggles, yes, they're dealing with difficulty, but they are believing in Jesus because God chose to use Paul bring the gospel to them. And Paul, Paul now is experiencing hardship himself because of what God had called him to do. Paul is experiencing sacrifice. And so what we see is that Paul's life is following the pattern of the cross set down in the Christ hymn in chapter 2. His life is being poured out for the sake of others, just as his Savior's was, but not in a salvific sense, but as an offering of thanksgiving. Paul rejoices that his sacrifice then has resulted in their sacrifice, that they were willing to provide for him and to give to him. And so he says, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so with this metaphor, Paul calls them, as he does to the church in Corinth, to follow after him as he follows Christ. That the path of gratitude, instead of grumbling, is actually a path of sacrifice, of losing for the sake of Christ, because we know that what we have to gain is so much greater. And when we do this, we discover the great mystery of salvation. The thankfulness looks all that more awesome. When so many in the world have no reason to be thankful. Gratitude is the glory of Jesus Christ being revealed in us when we follow the path of Christ and we experience sacrifice, suffering, and hardship. And we lift our heads. And we give thanks to our God because we know that even if everything was taken from us in this life, as Paul considers his life being poured out like a drink offering, the one thing that cannot be taken from us is the greatest thing in the world. And that's Jesus Christ himself.
on the promise of an eternity with him. We discover the great mystery of salvation. The stars look brighter on a dark night. Lights shine brighter in the darkness. And the more thankful of Christ's salvation we are, the more like Christ we become. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your grace. And we pray, Lord, that we, as your people, would do everything without complaining or arguing, that we may be blameless and pure, your children without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. We might shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the words of life. Lord, we pray that we would work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is you who works in us to will and to act according to your good purpose. And Lord, even if we may be poured out like a drink offering, we pray that we would be glad and rejoice. For our lives, we pray, Lord, would be a sacrifice of thanksgiving to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.